Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us this place and that we have this time and that we have this opportunity to open your word. Now, Lord, I pray you'll speak to us from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So how are you feeling today? You feel strong, courageous, maybe a little bit tired, a little bit worn down by your life? What keeps you going? What do you look to to keep you going? Now, maybe you're at a point right now where everything's great. But maybe it's a challenge. Maybe you're young, you're in school. We, we had the, the, the lovely prayer earlier, painting that reality of what it's like to be a young person in school. Yeah, I was on the mountain, and then I was in a test. And it can feel overwhelming. What keeps you going? Maybe your, uh, maybe your parents with young children. And indeed, what keeps you going? Isn't that the great question? Because it's pretty relentless, isn't it? Day after day. Maybe, maybe you're a little older than that. Your kids are a little older, but it's your work. Your work is just all consuming. It's taking up every minute of your life. What keeps you going? Maybe, maybe you're not working and you don't have kids at home and you get up in the morning and it seems like there's, your life doesn't even really matter anymore. What keeps you going? Well, the Apostle Paul faced a lot of challenges in his life, but yet he kept going, didn't he? He always kept going. He talks about the different things he went through. He went through uh, three shipwrecks. He got beaten up multiple times. He faced conflict from Gentiles and from Jews. He was oppressed by believers and by unbelievers. Everywhere he turned, it seemed like he had troubles. But he had a formula, something that worked for him, something that compelled him, that kept him going. And he writes about this in 2 Corinthians. And I want to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 16, he starts with these words. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now this is perspective. This is Paul's perspective. He's talking about how he keeps going. And he says some things in there that, that maybe are a little hard for us to embrace. What do I mean by that? Well, he talks about how the things unseen are more real than the things we see. Now, I feel like this piano is pretty real. I see it. I know where it is. And I'm one of those people that was raised in the scientific age. 
and learn to trust my senses to tell me what's real and what's not real. But here's the problem that Paul is addressing here. And basically, what I understand him to be saying is if I base the whole of my reality on what I can see, what my senses can tell me, see, hear, taste, touch, smell, if that is the limit of my reality, then this life's going to wear me out. Because there's not enough in the realm of what is seen to get me through. Why do I say that? Well, let's go on here, and you'll see why I say that. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked, For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. All right, so Paul here is using figurative language, and he's describing his body as a tent. And he says, you know, this tent is getting a little ragged and getting a little tired. And he says we groan in this tent, in this body. I've learned a little bit about groaning since the beginning of this year. Turns out, I've mentioned this to you before, apparently it's important to me, I'll probably be bringing it up a lot, but uh, my oldest son decided that my tent was a little out of shape and needed to be tidied up. And so he went and got himself a gym membership and oh joy, there's a buy one, get one special. And he brought me along. And I've been working on my tent for seven weeks, four times a week, with Gable, whose tent is in a lot better shape than mine. And we've been laboring, and a few things have become very clear to me. There are certain things that were not hard years ago that will never be easy for me again. You reach a point in your life, don't you, where one day you realize, you know what, that's not going to be normal anymore. Normal is different now. Now, the good news is it's helped me. I actually feel a lot stronger. It's been good for me, and I thank him for it, even though it it is intense misery. But it's been good for me. But yet it reminds me that it doesn't matter how many days a week I go to the gym, another year is going to pass, and another year is going to pass, and another year is going to pass, and the day is going to come where the years are going to matter more than the trips to the gym. Right? This is what Paul's talking about. The mortal reality of this life. This is what is seen. But Paul says there can be more to us than what is seen because God has made promises. Let's go on. Let's go on. Verse 5. Now the One who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the Spirit 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, this is a fascinating verse. And I think we underappreciate what is promised in this verse. You see, he says, God has given us his spirit as a deposit. Now, what is a deposit? Well, you, you buy a house, right? And you take a certain amount of money, and that's your deposit. And it secures this longer reality. So what he's suggesting here is that by giving us the Holy Spirit, God is giving us a foretaste of the reality we will know on that day when He comes again and we're clothed in this new eternal dwelling. Now here's what's interesting about that. Is that the experience you're having? See, the reason I ask you that question is because we're a careful people when it comes to spiritual things, right? We're careful. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be led astray. And having said that, let me say, I completely agree. There is a lot of crazy spiritual stuff, so-called spiritual stuff out there, that'll just take you and get you in all kinds of trouble if you just run after it. And it can very much be centered in emotionalism sometimes. But I want to also be aware that sometimes we've been so careful of the experience that can be ours from the indwelling Holy Spirit that we've walled ourselves off from experiencing the joy of the deposit for the life to come. We're not experiencing it. We're a little bit like the men that showed up in Ephesus that were talking to Paul and Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Well, what baptism did you have? Well, I had the baptism of John. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. But there's supposed to be a baptism with fire as well as water. Right? We're pretty good at the forgiveness of sin, rise again in the sinless state, but... How good are we at hearing the voice of God say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Is not that what God said to Jesus when he was baptized? And did not the Spirit of God descend upon him on that day as a dove? Is it different for us? When we're baptized, are we not baptized into the reality of what Christ established? There's supposed to be an experience of the Spirit in our lives. Now, why does this matter? Well, it matters a lot, and we'll get to why it matters here in a minute. Let's go on. Verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, a couple of things he's bringing in here. He's talking about that great day of judgment that is to come. We'll all stand before the Lord. But he's also saying we walk by faith and not by sight. We make it our goal to please Him. We would prefer to be in the reality to come, but that's not where we find ourselves, is it? We find ourselves here 
now. All this had implications in Paul's life. The indwelling of the Spirit, the reality of our life as it is, the desire in our hearts to please the Lord. And he begins to talk about these implications. But when we wrestle with this idea of of what he's saying about this life and the life to come, I want to take you back to some words that Jesus said in John chapter 11. This is the chapter that tells the story of Lazarus. And you remember in this chapter, now Lazarus has died. And Jesus has come and he's interacting with Martha. And in verse 25, John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe this. Do I understand this? Not entirely. Did you catch what he said there? He will live even though he dies. And though if he believes in me, he will never die. How does that work exactly? How do I die and never die? But you see... Sometimes it's more about what's unseen than what's seen. Sometimes it's more about what's promised than about what I perfectly understand. You see, what I need to understand from this verse is not exactly how resurrection works. What I need to understand is that Jesus is the resurrection. That's what I hang on to. I don't have to understand everything about the process. I just have to understand the promise. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's where, that's where I've got to live in that truth. Because if I live in that, instead of in my own capacity to understand exactly what God's doing and exactly what the rules are and exactly how it works, that which is seen. See, it's not about the box. It's about the music, right? It's about the music. This had an impact on Paul. Verse 11. This is Paul again talking about himself. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. And I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So Paul said, because of this spirit that lives in me and this fear of the Lord, this this recognition of the surpassing greatness of God, it has an impact on me. And the impact it has on me, Paul says, is that I want you to understand it too. I want you to live in it too. I want the same spirit to dwell in you. So because of the spirit of God in my life, I'm compelled to share with you. This is what Paul says. It has an impact on him. We go on to verse 12. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Why? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again all right 
very important point here. No longer live for ourselves, but now we live for the One who died for us. Christ's love compels us. This is really getting to the heart of what I want, what I want you to understand today. You see, this is, this is what drove Paul to keep going. Because he had come to understand in his heart and his mind that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, He lived, He died, and He rose again that Paul might receive the grace of God and the promise of eternal life. And because that had come to him, now the love of God through the Holy Spirit lived in his heart and he was compelled to act. It got him out of bed in the morning. It got him on the next ship even though the last one went down. It kept him going because the love of Christ compelled him. Now, now I want you to just think about your own experience for a minute here. What compels you in your spiritual life? If you are compelled in your spiritual life out of fear of the law, then you are exhausted right now. Because maybe it can keep you in order for a time. But eventually you reach the point where the only questions you want to ask is, do I have to do that? Can I get away with this? See, these are the questions not of the ones compelled by the love of Christ, but rather those living in fear of law. But what I want to tell you is this. The, the compulsion that comes from the love of Christ will drive you much more than law ever will. See, because law is all about minimums. The love of Christ is all about what else can I do? And that's why I say, you live no longer for yourself. If you're focused on law, if you're focused on works, you're focused on you. But when you truly have received the Holy Spirit and the transformation that comes, your focus comes off of you and off of this question of am I saved or lost, and you become a part of God's kingdom. And your purpose becomes the extending of that kingdom. And this is where he goes. In the very next verse, verse 16, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. All right, I want to stop right there for just a second. From now on, what? From now on, what? From the point at which we have received the Holy Spirit of God, our sins are taken away, and now the love of Christ compels us. It changes our eyes. We don't see each other the same way anymore. Now, why does this matter? Well, could we be living in an uglier time than we are in terms of how we see each other? I mean, it's, it's an ugly time. We know who we hate, right? We know who's wrong. It's one of my favorite cartoons I ever saw. A guy sitting up late at night, wildly typing on his computer. 
His wife says, go to sleep. He says, I can't. Someone on the internet is wrong. (laughs) That's compelled, but it's not the love of Christ. Can we see people with different eyes? Because from now on, we will regard no one from a worldly point of view. It's always the cliche, isn't it? But it's only a cliche because it's so true. Other drivers, big-time worldly eyes, idiots don't know how to drive. It's not the right spirit, is it? Can I view people? It goes on, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. This is less about sinless living and more about godly attitude. Sinless living, let's just hope that works out for you. What I hope more for you is that you have the Holy Spirit of God in you and you have a godly outlook. Because I think sinless living will go with that. All right? Where does it come from? All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. Uh Uh-oh. And then told us to just sit there until He comes again. Is that what it says? Oh, He gave us something, didn't He? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Who's supposed to tell the world that they've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? Those who've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So what does that make us? Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. Doesn't that feel clumsy? Yeah. Couldn't you find some better people, Lord? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God intends to make His appeal through us. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you do, think about your day. See, everywhere we go, we move through the world as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to live the gospel. When we have embraced in our hearts the reality that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again to new life that we might receive the Holy Spirit, we then become the ambassadors everywhere we go. Now, not everywhere you go can you sit down, open the Bible, and give a Bible study. It doesn't work like that. But you don't have to to be an ambassador. You just carry with you the peace of God in your heart. You carry with you graciousness for others. You carry with you eyes that see in a loving way before they see in a hateful way. This is the transformation. Why is it possible? Verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Is there a better text than that? Isn't that a fabulous text? Doesn't it capture it? 
God made Him who had no sin be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You want to be the righteousness of God in the world? Why am I telling you this? Does this begin to give you some impetus for living, some impulse to be out there, a certain compulsion to go ahead and get up tomorrow? Because you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And we need the ambassadors to get out there into the fields and live their lives in a righteous way filled with the hope of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. I don't know everybody's situation perfectly, but I know whenever we give an opportunity for the community to somehow communicate with us, we did this a couple, years, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Julie was up here, she had her phone with her, and you all could text certain things to her going on. And it is almost overwhelming every time we give you a chance to express the burdens that are being carried by this community every Sabbath when we walk in here. It's heavy. And there are more of you with heavy burdens than there are without. This we learn every time we bother to ask. But it is in the context of that reality, juxtaposed against what Paul has described here as this, as this new creation, this new life in Christ, this role as an ambassador, that I want to take you back to where we started. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And I want to remind you of these words. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because Christ made Him who had no sin, sin for you so that you could be the righteousness of God. Don't lose heart. God poured out heaven for you. Don't lose heart. Even if outwardly you're wasting away, even if you sit here right now today suffering physically from some condition, don't lose heart. Because inwardly, you can be renewed day by day. Now, there's a point there. Day by day, I want to suggest to you that that means you better find time day by day for renewal. Okay? Your, your car runs out of fuel. What do you do? You go to the place where they have some. Right? You don't just drive around hoping, oh man, it ran out again. Have you ever heard of a gas station? If you want to be renewed day by day, you need to go to where renewal is. God's Word. And prayer. And small groups. And church gatherings. And family worships. This is where renewal takes place. But it needs to be day by day. You manage to eat every day. We need this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. All right. Sounds like a crazy verse, but it's because it's easier to see what's seen than what is unseen, right? The eternal weight of glory is the unseen, the problems are what is seen. Think about the worst of your struggles. The claim of this verse is that you put them on a scale with the glory God has in mind for you 
the scale would go down so fast your troubles would be thrown into oblivion. Can you believe the glory of what God has for us is that much greater than what you suffer? That's the promise. So what do we do? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're clear enough on what is seen. We're clear enough on our troubles. But Paul said Christ's love can compel us to meaningful living even in trials. And you made Jesus to be sin for us that we might become righteousness for you. Therefore, Lord, help us not to lose heart, but to be renewed day by day as we are filled with the love of Jesus. In him we pray. Amen.